Brought to you by Moonbeam Multimedia. This is 16 to 1, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. I was just about to say, I need beer. And you went, hello. <laughs> you like Mrs. Doubt fired it right in the middle. <laughs> hello. <laughs> I'm not oh. ready for a rewatch of that. Mrs. Doubtfire? Mm-hmm. I'll put it at the top of our oh list. God. Hi. Hi. You had a long day in a sweaty classroom. Is that why you're oh, drinking the course? The story of my life. Your classroom is stuck on demon mode. My classroom is stuck on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Demon mode is probably. That feels accurate. Your classroom is what, 85 degrees or something? It was pushing an air that was like 78 and 77 degrees. And like the room next to me was pushing an air, I think it was like 82. But my room is small. The joys and, of public and school And at time teaching. there were like, you know, some of the times there were like 24 of us in there. Many bodies in a small space. And of those 24, 23 of them were actively going through puberty. <laughs> And probably just ate and probably just came from gym class where they haven't showered. Ew. Okay. So. What an olfactory experience. I think I'm going to include my Venmo on the bottom of the show notes of this one. I think that's a good idea. And I'm just going to buy like one of those little AC units that like sits under my desk. Mm-hmm. Like the chill zone or whatever. Those are. Yeah. Have you seen those like the ass seen on TV? Personal <laughs> yeah. AC zone. Um, wow. Well, I'm sorry I you're mean, going through that. Leave it to Ohio to start dipping down into the 30s. And my classroom is like, mm, you know what? I bet you want to sweat. I have thoughts about that. All day. I'm going to make sure you're really miserable now I that bet, the weather is nice. I bet you'd like to hate it. <laughs> let, me, let me fix that. How are you? I'm doing well. I've been trying to crush my life into shape. Oh, <laughs> I, that I've, feels... Well, you know, I keep talking about the importance of using that calendaring app that I mm-hmm. use. The notion? The... the, the well, no, that's the uh, that's another important one. Oh, but sorry. that's from for notes and stuff. No, the calendar, the cal dot com, just the thing that hooks up all my calendar stuff together. I think that my use of the calendaring app has helped me know when I have blocks of my own time to mm. work. So you're like choosing wisely. Yeah, because I'm like, oh. oh, I have two hours of time now to work on work, and and I don't have any meetings. That's nice. And I can plan my week. I mean, yeah. you know, things still pop up. But mm-hmm. I can plan when I work in the week much more efficiently. I totally get it. And I can give myself breaks much more efficiently yeah. because I just have. I mean, I, I could see it somewhat on my phone, but now I just sit with my it's my calendar better. open like yeah. all the time, and it, it really helps. Yeah, instead of like a chat app or an email client being open all the time on my second monitor, it's just my calendar. Mm. Keep you moving. Yeah, it's been good. No, I get that. I like. I've been working all week to try to make it so that you know the Friday. It was going to be a day where, like, my kids were kind of doing, like, student-led learning. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like, directing themselves through these things. And it was because of all of the footwork that I did all week to try to get us there. Yep. <laughs> so I totally get it. Cause it that's, does like, take a lot of work to get yourself into these mm-hmm. modes where you can kind of either automate your schedule or whatever. Yep. It takes a lot of setup work to get to that point where it runs smoothly. It's, it's probably more work than giving myself time to work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, it does definitely make sense. Yes. Welcome back to another episode of 16 to 1. Yeah. This is 16 to 1. We're a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. If you're listening, thank you so much for joining us. We've been hearing from some of you, and it's been really fun. We have. Yeah. And, yeah. well, should we talk about who we've heard from? Yeah. Why don't okay. well, well, were you going to say something else? Well, I had knock knock jokes, but oh, we can. No, I think we no. should. I really think we should hear those. Knock first. knock first. Yeah. I okay. Think we I have should. two. Okay. Are you, Are you making up for the fact that we skipped last week? Last episode, yeah. Yeah, you were very upset when you realized that we didn't have one. Yeah. And I wasn't do upset. You, do you remember how it works? The knock knock jokes? Yeah, like the back Yeah, and forth. I think I've got this okay. this pattern down now. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Knock knock. Who's there? A broken pencil. A broken pencil who? Oh, never mind. It's pointless. Wow. Okay. Okay. I like this one even better. Uh-huh. I'm already smiling. You are. Knock knock. Who's there? Cash. Cash who? No thanks. I prefer peanuts. (laughs) 
So, okay. So for those of you who requested those, you're welcome. Hey. We did have we did have some listener interaction that brought about this uh, this knock knock joke. I think a couple thing. of our listeners might only listen for these now. Those folks are very special. Very special. Anyways, yeah. Other people we've heard from. Yeah, we've heard from some fun folks. We have. We got a message from Patrick in Western Australia. Yes. Who is actually kind of coming into teaching by way of just life happening. And he wrote us the nicest email about somehow this has been eye opening for him to listen to us, <laughs> which I read and I was like, ooh. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> but his Can you email. Believe people actually listen to us. Yeah. Can you believe it? But he's in the process of completing his education degree, the licensing, all of that. He shared that he was excited to do student teaching next year. And he said that in what he wants to teach, he wants to teach English and history. It's actually not as well represented by males Mm. uh, where he's going to be teaching. So he's excited because those faculties are normally females. Yeah, he was saying Um, he wanted to be able to be a a role model for people who might not have. Patrick, you already are. Yeah. Because you've, you've set out knowing you will very likely be alone in some of those places. Mm -hmm. And we just hope it goes well for you. And we're excited to to hear about it. So Yeah. And so one of the reasons we're bringing this up, Patrick was asking about maybe some things that we might be able to share for people who are aspiring to be teachers or who are looking to become teachers. And we are actually going to do something in response to that, which is schedule a couple of mini episodes when we mm-hmm. normally publish we normally do not publish uh, episodes over the holiday breaks we're going to pu- publish a couple of really short episodes where each of us just takes a look at uh maybe like one big piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice or sure. something. we haven't figured it out yet but just little holiday reflections we're going to share those with you during our normal break weeks so yeah. look for those one of the things that he mentioned was just suggestions for future teachers so we're going to kind of mm-hmm. take that and spin it into a little bit of what we've learned, the warnings, the, you know, all of it. So yeah, I'm excited. And Patrick, thanks. That was really fun to read. That totally made our day. So yes, thank you. it totally did. Uh, we also heard from Lindsay who wrote in uh, another aspiring mm-hmm. educator who asked an English teacher and a great uh, books major for book recommendations. I have been waiting for it. someone to be like, tell me some books. Yes. Do you know how excited I was to create a list for her? It, we had all, we had too much fun compiling our list. Yeah. And it was very fun. So thanks for writing in. Uh, We love hearing from you all. If anybody, if you have any suggestions, questions, topics for the show, anything you want to hear from us, please do go ahead and write in. More knock-knock jokes. More knock-knock jokes Mm -hmm. that Kate will or maybe won't read, depending on how much It's actually more a matter of if you actually edit them into the pod. Because once I walk out of this, you know, (laughs) once I'm done recording, I'm done for a while. Yeah. Until it gets published. I'm not too sure what makes it. I have have the power to include or exclude the knock-knock jokes. So we'll see if they make them in. But yes. Patrick and Lindsay, thank you. That was so much fun. It's so rewarding rewarding to hear from people yeah um, hello at 16to1.com we love hearing from you we, w- we would love to know what you're up to we would love to hear about your plans to either uh, enter the teaching or- workforce or leave the teaching workforce or just whatever it is we love hearing or from you implode it you know? <laughs> or, or blow it up on the inside <laughs> or reinvent it or whatever it is yeah. so wanted to cover those holiday plans because like i said we usually don't have episodes thanksgiving and christmas weeks for us but this year we're going to release short ones then so keep a lookout for those we also have a bit of an update from the student debt episode because we we don't tend to cover current events because of the fact that we just don't have a lot of uh, research manpower between the two of us, just, just the two of us. Well, also, the rate that we release yeah. isn't super like yeah. convenient for news. Also true. Every Once other every week, two weeks is not ideal for a yeah. news cycle unless it's like the Pony Express. Right, right. So that's true. So we did do an evolving story on, on student debt. There are some things in the Biden debt relief plan that are either changing or have been dropped completely or that makes it less... These things make them slightly less useful to loan borrowers. Uh, the changes that are happening, they're either being back channeled, dropped out of the debt relief proposal, or people, you know, there are Republicans in Congress that are challenging parts of the Biden debt relief proposal. So we don't actually, I don't think we even still have the final picture of what it's going to look like when it finally reaches loan borrowers. <laughs> but I guess we just did want to note that if you happen to listen to that episode, we, we had an update and that things have evolved since then and are continuing to evolve. So just keep an eye out on that story. Okay. Are you ready to dive into this ready. week? What are we talking about this week? 
How did we get this topic? Where did I find this? Well, you were in a professional development meeting and you sent it to me. You're right. And said we have to talk about this. You're right, I was. Because it caught your attention wow. so Imagine. much. So I was in a professional development meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to completely take I'm that I'm pretty back. sure that's what happened. That sounds accurate. Well, it was so interesting to you that you had you sent it to me and you were like, we have to I, look at this. I actually, maybe I shouldn't tell you this. I kind of flush things out through you first. When I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is interesting. I send it to you and then I gauge your interest and then I decide if it's worth my time. Oh, well, that's very kind. <laughs> I am honored. You're like my. I'm the filter. <laughs> you're the filter. I'm honored. You're like, eh, I don't know. I'm I was honored like, oh. and pleased to be your filter. Well, and because your your mind of the podcast is, I I really do sit down and talk. Like <laughs> I like to run these things through you because you have the mind to like sort of form it into like the product. My brain thinks in terms of the architecture of an right. episode, and I'm just like, I'd love to drink beer and talk for yeah. a while on a hot mic that sounds great which i am love to have you do but so. you are selling yourself short you okay. are uh, so anyway i came across yes crew based learning uh-huh you did and told chelsea about it and that's how we got here yeah i'm so proud of myself inquiry inquiry based learning and i've definitely heard of this and it is a buzzword and term yeah. and i'm sure everybody's heard of this if well. you're teaching it in modern public school settings in this country at least but yeah okay. what is it here it is how did you how well first of all how did this come up exactly in the professional development session oh we were in gifted training aha uh -huh. and we got a whole list of links and i was like oh what's this because i love project-based learning mm -hmm. pbo and of course this is inquiry-based learning which sounded similar enough for me to be like i wonder like I said, my school has like changed how we do our professional development, so the calendar's a little wonky still for me. Like to remember wh what meeting I did what in. Yeah, you've been in a lot of PD um, recently. Yeah, it's been a recent PD. It wasn't the topic. Like that isn't what we were being taught. Mm -hmm. It was just a a product of you know, a byproduct of rather of um, how to help support students. Mm -hmm. So this is what it is. Yeah, and I sent it to you also to see if you'd heard of it in the terms of like. Have you actually done this kind of learning? Yeah, I definitely have heard of this one, yeah. even more than project-based learning. But that probably is because of my particular background. Yeah, I would agree. Because project-based learning got really popular in like 2013. That was like huge then. So we were kind of yeah, off When I on. was in grad school, it was the only thing people were talking yeah. about. Yeah. So inquiry-based learning yes. is teaching while triggering a curiosity or an interest of a learner. So teaching is what this is. Oh, <laughs> I guess we're done. Every time we do well, one of these shows that's on like a methodological approach to education or like a, you know, just a manner of teaching, yeah. PBL, IBL, what, all these acronyms. It's really just like yeah. teaching. Yeah. Turns out. It's just another just acronym for else. teaching. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I also put in parentheses, <laughs> this isn't easy. Um, mm -hmm. So, okay. So the first note that I made was that it works with project-based learning, yes. PBO. So if you are an educator who has used project-based learning in your classroom, you have touched on inquiry-based learning at least in a broad sense, yes. is what I want to say. So plenty of overlap with PBL. What is inquiry-based learning? Just so give me your definition of it. My definition, well, hmm, that... Okay, that's not an easy question, actually, because my my answer to that comes from the perspective of an English teacher. So my inquiry-based learning is not at all what other people would probably define it as. But that's okay. But it would be setting parameters or opening up options based on a target of learning that allows the students to kind of pick and choose which facet of that they want to study. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Was that too broad? No. So I'm thinking, like... I've used this kind of learning or this kind of teaching before. I didn't call it this then, of course. But when I used to teach honors English, I used to like m when I taught honors English, those were the students who would theoretically someday take AP English, right, for the AP test. So what I did with them as sophomores was I provided them the most commonly tested book list, right, for the AP test and let them pick which book they wanted to all complete the same project on. But they got to pick the book based on topics and interests of their own does that make sense mm -hmm. that's also pbl this is how it gets tricky that that would also be a case of project-based learning but it's also an inquiry-based learning because 
they were able to do the searching to find what topic, author, whatever interested them. Yeah. I think the primary push of this method, this style of learning, whatever you want to call it, this approach to learning, it seems to me that the important thing here is letting students drive, become agents, active agents in their own education. So discovering their interests becomes a big part of executing this in the classroom. And that is difficult and takes a lot of time, as we will see. But it can have some pretty great rewards because students become invested in their education in a way that they don't otherwise. I mean, this work can be really important, right? Because it helps students form connections between what would normally be like a segmented knowledge group so they could actually form stronger memories of that learning based on the connections that are happening naturally. It gives them ownership and responsibility, differentiation. Look at all the words we're throwing in. This, like, the vocabulary of this episode is off the charts because we're just, like, hitting all of the (laughs) ones. All of the buzzwords are going to hear. Well, guess what? It's self-directed. We love that. What it also does is it helps them learn the value of asking really strong, worthy questions And we talked about this actually in the Holocaust episode where like coming up with a simple answer isn't actually helpful. And this kind of learning prevents that. Yeah. Because it it eliminates that from the the options, basically. I think most, especially young learning, a a lot of times for students becomes associated with finding the right answers rather than finding the good questions. And and it makes sense why we get there. My kids are so motivated by the correct answer. The correct answer is... It becomes the primary motivating factor for a lot of students. To the extent that we can, we should try to subvert that and try to say, yeah, but it would be even cooler if you could find out how to ask a really good question and then pursue it. Mm -hmm. That's the art. The art of asking a really good question is, is, is a lost art. It's difficult. So all of this kind of just sounds like Ed speak, which I would probably have to agree I mean, it with is. you. Yeah, um, it is. But I found a really interesting chart from the University of Manchester, and I'll include it in the show notes uh-huh. for you. They call it EBL because Enquiry. they're fancy. They have inquiry. Anyways, so I suppose if you're on that side of the pond, it could be EBL, for, but for us, Americans over here, we Americans. use the IBL. But so the University of Manchester broke it down into three kind of categories. Inquiry based learning. Yeah. Okay. And so they basically said that there's a section that would be considered problem based learning, which are explorations of scenario driven learning experiences. And then there, the second option of three is a small scale investigation. So that's like a field work or a case study that's been adapted to fit whatever the discipline is. And then the third option is basically PBL. It's projects and research. So a research-based approach to a project or a process, whatever that might look like. And I think that's a really accurate way to break it up because I think probably anything that is taught could fall into something like that, right? Like I think those categories, those three, are probably wide enough that any teacher, math, science, um, arts, you know, like anyone I think could fall into there. So I actually liked how they broke it down because... It allowed for different levels of learning, but also a, like it provided so many approaches to teaching it that it's like a one-stop shop. Yeah. So like you were saying, a lot of this is just a repackaging of best practices for educators. So if it sounds like that to you, you're probably right. It really is just like how to do teaching good. Like <laughs> good teacher. Good, good, good. teacher-ing. Yeah. But um but it is nice to be able to formalize approaches and to communicate to people what works and what doesn't. So I do, I mean, I do find this way of talking about education useful, even though it kind of seems like, well, duh, when you get down into the nitty gritty elements of, of what these things mean. <laughs> well, like, duh. well, seriously, if you just well, look, duh. yeah. Okay. So let's go to the characteristics. So this is, this is from that same University of Manchester model. They describe it. Learning is essentially student-centered with an emphasis on group work and use of library, web, and other information resources. So, again, student-centered learning, mm-hmm. that's just another way of oh. saying education. I mean, honestly. Okay. If you're doing it right. What anyway. Uh, lectures become facilitators, providing encouragement and support to enable students to take responsibility for what and how they learn. Students reach a point where they are not simply investigating questions posed by others, but can formulate their own research topics and convert that research into useful knowledge. Mm-hmm. So that's what we were just talking I about. I think that's, yeah. Asking the good questions. Mm-hmm. 
And then finally, students gain not only a deeper understanding of the subject matter, but also the knowledge development and leadership skills required for tackling complex problems that occur in the real world. Mm-hmm. Woof. Yeah. But all of that is really, I mean, it's trying, they're trying to crystallize it, distill it down into an approach to learning, but this is really just an approach to good education. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of scaffolding that takes place for this kind of learning to occur. Scaffolding. That's such, an, that's such an education word. What does that actually mean to teachers? Scaffolding is the work that you do to establish a student's confidence and their understanding of learning without you holding them up there. Yeah. So like, for example, like scaffolding in my classroom can be a lot of things, but it's kind of the knowledge that after we've done a similar kind of assignment a couple, three times, you know what I expect. So most recently I've been teaching, this is, this is something I didn't think about before. Teaching students how to annotate. Do you remember being taught how to annotate like literature? Like in the margins, like important thoughts, Mm. motivators, summaries, you know what I mean? Like I don't think I'm taught how to annotate. Well, here's the thing. You're actually taught not to in one way in that. Like to not write in books. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're taught not not to write in books. Especially when you're younger, younger learner. Oh, yeah. Because they just scribble things. Well, sure. But what I'm saying is that's like the first thing that you learn about. You don't write in books. Mm -hmm. But I when I went to college, it became very important for me to try to buy as many books as I could rather than check them out from the library because I learn so much better when I can write in books, when sure. I can annotate. <laughs> right. But were you taught? Yeah. But that's what I was just going to say. I, I kind of had to teach myself that that's how I best okay. learned because definitely note taking was taught. Like, like the, okay. the fact that we should but, take notes okay. in a journal, but like how to do that, how to structure it to retain knowledge yeah. better. No. So for my students, I'm kind of talking about annotating as a form of active listening. Yeah. Also. No, that part is what I'm saying was not ever. It would be like, yeah, take notes on this so you don't okay. fail the quiz. Well, but. I'm teaching Caesar, which I have taught now a million times. Mm-hmm. And I realized I wasn't teaching the funeral speeches as a persuasive technique, if that makes sense. So if you're unfamiliar with Caesar, once they murder him and stab him 23 times, and he announces his own death, which is very Caesar of him. Antony, Mark Antony and Brutus both get to give a speech, right? And... I'm very biased, but I think that most people who value Shakespeare could say that the writing of the funeral speeches is some of Shakespeare's best work. You're staring at me, but I'm going to say I just love how excited you get about Caesar. I love Caesar. I really love Caesar. I think he's great. Well, no, I don't. You know what I mean. I'm staring at you because I like listening to you talk about the thing about which you're passionate. So, but what I realized that was that like, I can only do so much to convince like my students that Mark Antony is persuasive, right? So, like, if we're not considering, like, techniques and devices and whatever about him, they're not going to understand the rest of his motives. So I then decided (laughs) this year I was going to make, like, teaching how to annotate part of my life. So much work. Oh, my Lord. All they want to do is, like, summarize, you know. And I think that's a good step. But this is the kind of learning that requires a ton of scaffolding. Because the first time my students did it, I gave everyone points, like participation points, but I put on, I put on their paper the grade they would get. Then I talked to other teachers and I was like, how do I grade this? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. So I graded it how I would, how I would have awarded them points as a warning <laughs> for some. And then put everyone gets 20 points, whatever. So then I talked to a couple other co-teachers and I was like, how do you do it? And one of them actually had a really great annotation rubric because she teaches ap so when her kids come in from the summer they turn in a a literature like a book and a fiction to her and she grades their annotations which i thought was a really cool way to check for reading and learning right so i then the quiz was a shorter speech in that rubric so when i'm building them slowly forever it will feel like through scaffolding Mm mm-hmm is that this is a kind of active reading and listening and learning we should be doing. But it's one of those types of learnings that you don't always think about, how did I learn how to do this? And that when it struck me how hard it was to teach it, I was like, oh, I have to scaffold this all the way to the top because yeah. otherwise my expectations, they'll never meet them. I think that stuff that feels like second nature to us now is the hardest for us to talk about teaching. 
<laughs> the stuff that comes naturally is so difficult to bury how like to unbury how we got to the point where it became natural. Yeah. That's really hard to do. It is. And because of course I'm super blessed. I have an incredible department and they were all like Oh yeah, it's never like what we think. It's because I'm surrounded by brilliant people. Like, and so like when I'm talking to other English teachers and you about it, I'm like, well, of course, all of us know what annotating is. It's because that's what we do because it's fun. We're enjoying it. We do that My kids when we like, sleep because that's right. what our dreams are made of. So like, it occurred to me that I was like, well, why is? And I was like, well, die. Work with really smart people, and you know. So it was it was actually very humbling for me because I was like, of course, I can annotate. I have a bachelor's and a master's in this. I would hope I can. I was raised by a reading teacher. Lord help me if he found out. You know, but that's the scaffolding. Scaffolding is all the little parts and pieces that make up the independence to actually complete something. I got you. Eventually, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. But as I was saying, not to go on on another tangent and stand on another soapbox, inquiry-based learning requires a lot of control. And that comes by way of scaffolding. Yeah. And so clear expectations and things like that are going to be the most important part of it. Yeah, you you have to be overly clear and yes. almost pedantic about expectations yes. throughout the entire cycle of and, learning. And that's what I would consider a shortcoming of it, too, is that I don't think every teacher can run it as necessary. Well, I- also, teachers just and not aren't with given every the group time. of students yeah. either. Yeah, because I can sit here and tell you I teach eight, seven groups of kids a day, and I can tell you for sure five of them are ready to go. Now, which five day to day is iffy? Yeah, I, I think that probably the way that your schedule works right now, you meaning you teachers generally, or at least teachers in your in your building, there isn't enough time in the day. To dedicate to doing this the way that you would probably want to do it if you really could for every group of students mm-hmm. that you have because your schedule is just so slammed. But mm-hmm. but I think that you can, you know, I mean, I don't mean to speak for you, but I'm sure that you make stabs in the direction of doing as much as you can whenever mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. But taking this approach to learning, centering the student, giving them authority requires so much trust and establishing boundaries and rules like you're saying. Yeah. It is really a lot of work but it is the work that we should be doing with students yeah to the extent that we can so let's let's just talk about if we wanted to implement inquiry-based learning i want you to take the lead on this one because you are around peers who do this stuff day Mm. in day out so can you just tell us like across a couple of different subject matters you know you your peers Mm -hmm. how do we how do how does this get implemented in school it looks like so many things which is beautiful that's what's so fun right Okay, so some things that inquiry-based learning can look like. I know coworkers of mine who teach science who do it in terms of each student gets to pick a periodic element and research one that interests them and sort of, you know, they're, they're the same parameters for all of the research, but they get to talk about how it reacts, what it reacts with, that kind of thing. Um, the teacher who teaches zoology, they have like an animal of the week, you know, so like students have a little bit of creativity and that kind of stuff. History. One of my one of my coworkers always does like a decades project, mm. and so the kids get to dress up That's and fun. like you know research like the state of the world at the time and like what factors politically and economically or whatever. I wanted to just throw in one from history from mm-hmm. my high school experience, if I you don't mind. To. Yeah, I did a project like this for a it was like a philosophy or and and or religion class in high school yeah okay it was a temporary thing i think they only maybe offered it the one year that i did and you broke it we might have broken it but (laughs) it was really fun but we learned about among other things eastern religions and there was like a Mm -hmm. thing we did a unit on like five major eastern religions or something but we uh we were able to choose topics to do a final like a final project on and we made a music video about the cycle oh, of fun. dharma and <laughs> we recorded like we dressed up and recorded something that would probably be hideously offensive now if i were to go back and look at it but like it, <laughs> it's hope it doesn't come back out no no i just mean because it was like bad yeah was, but but also probably embarrassing mm-hmm. for other reasons but um yeah but no that was that was like a that was one of the examples yeah. that i had in mind for sure that like i remember getting to pick and i remember being so excited about it because yeah. we had basically full creative control over how we chose to do that project mm-hmm. how we chose to earn our grade we were in the driver's seat That's for cool. it so it was obviously a lot of fun so mm-hmm. that would be yeah 
So I already gave my example, one of my examples for English, obviously how I've used it. Another way that I use it is last year when I was doing my Holocaust unit, on the day of remembrance, each of my students got to pick someone to research and talk about their story. Either someone who, who did survive or someone who didn't, you know, like whatever the case was, but they had to all provide me the same information. How were they persecuted? In what way? Where? What was the historical, what point, you know, like what point in the war, that kind of stuff. So that was really cool because a lot of my students then could pick a place that they were really interested in. And then some students were like, well, could we do liberators? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, you know, they, they get celebrated as well, obviously. It's based on inquiry. It's based mm-hmm. on their interest in something that would fall into the parts of the Holocaust. One other that I do is I do a college or career research project. And so that allows students to tell me about how they're going to achieve their goals, either by going to college or in what college and what they, you know, what that will look like, or by telling me about their path into whatever's next. And so that's really fun because it rewards them with, you know, I have plenty of students who go into it saying, I have no idea what I want to do. And that's okay too. But for my students who come into it, like, I cannot wait to go to Ohio State ATI. I want to do equine. I want to do this. And they can just tell me all about it. And they think that's fun. So it's, like I said, if it's done right, it's great. Yeah, people but it's are a very slippery in, slope right. to get there. Well, but I mean, like, all of us should know that, like, in some important fundamental way, we're all a little bit vain. Like, we like to talk about ourselves. Yeah, we, we do. We like to talk about the things that we're interested in. And we like it when other people take an interest in those things. Mm-hmm. We're all seeking to be recognized by our peers and our friends and our community. We're all seeking to feel like mm-hmm. to feel like the stuff that we care about is valid and yeah. interesting. So the extent that we can to the extent that we can do that for students, we absolutely should because it's just it's not that hard and the gains are mm-hmm. the gains to be made are astronomical. Yeah. So I mean, I shouldn't say it's not that hard. What I meant is it's not that hard to treat somebody like what they have to say is interesting oh yeah it is hard to do inquiry-based learning yeah right and then like we're only doing core subjects so sorry to all of my electives you're very important we value you we love you Mm -hmm. but for math i know of teachers who have done work that is like pick a career and then kind of dissect what what kind of math might occur in those classes you know what i mean something like that or I have another teacher that I work with who, uh, one of the ways that he teaches math is by, he'll create projects out of inquiry-based learning ideals that are like, you're going to open a restaurant. You get to pick what kind of restaurant. You have to outfit it for this much. Anticipate a weekly, all of these things. So it's kind of cool because when I was working with students last year who were doing it, I had like a group who was like, I'm going to have a Mexican restaurant. And I had kids over there who like, how do, you know, whatever. So it was kind of fun because... It was the same project, but they kind of got their own interests. And, like, the one group was, like, very concerned they couldn't afford a mariachi band. And, like, we, like, truly could not work it out in their budget. Like, I tried. But, like, I just don't think a mariachi band was an option it wasn't for in the cards. And they were basically, like, well, I don't know if I want a Mexican restaurant now. Like, it was so We're going to change our business model now? They were basically, like, well, I don't want to sell a Mexican food. <laughs> um, I asked, but, you know, uh, that's just, yeah. I asked one of our our friends about the math teacher about this. And mm-hmm. She was saying that the, that probabilities are always a good thing to teach with inquiry based learning because you can give kids like some dice or some whatever, and they start figuring stuff out. Like the, you start flipping uh-huh. a coin or rolling yeah. dice, you very quickly figure out how probabilities work. That's true. Um, and she was also talking about power rules and stuff with calculus mm-hmm. and how they come up with it. But basically, you start from one point and come up with it. Uh-huh. Uh, by working through the math. That's cool. I think it's probably... she. We were actually having a conversation about how difficult this can be in mathematics mm-hmm. because, and I was telling her this is true from my own experience, we don't have a good grasp of the fundamentals. And by we, I mean products of the American educational system do not have a good grasp yeah. of the fundamentals of mathematics very, very often, unless we're pretty lucky. So when I got to college, mathematics was one of the things that I studied, but we did it by going literally all the way back to, to like some of the beginnings and looking at like Euclid Euclid's elements and building squares from was why theorems. equals MX plus B in there no that you that came a little slope. later no. that came a little later but Sorry. we did use it but no I mean well we do things like yeah. how do you intersect lines with circles like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so we started from the actual like building blocks of, yeah. of 
of you, spatial you geometry. You truly went all yeah. the way back to but that. But the thing is, is that doing that opened up for me a whole new world of mathematics and made math interesting for me mm-hmm. because it wasn't before then. Which is so cool. Because I definitely could like add and subtract and multiply, but what I was asked to do prior to going to college was to become a human calculator and execute on equations and solve them. When I got to college, I became an explorer of mathematics and it was just so so anyway, yeah. to the extent that we can work that stuff in and, and that wasn't a criticism of anybody in the education system, it's very no. difficult to teach this stuff, but these ways of engaging and learning the more groundwork, like scaffolding, like you're talking about, the more groundwork you have to lay, the more maybe bad habits you mm-hmm. have to undo, the more difficult and time-consuming this kind of approach to yeah. learning can become. So it is an incredible burden on on teachers to yeah. do this and do it well, but it's very important work. Well, and the other thing I just want to mention is that the woman that you were talking to is one of the most incredible teachers I've ever seen in a classroom ever and so, you know, she's someone that I look to that I'm like, oh, gosh, I wish I wish things ran like they did for her. She's the kind of teacher that, like, when you have kids, you hope they have her. So, like, if that's the kind of work that she's, you know, like, I just I couldn't be a bigger fan of her anyways. So I always know when my when my students, when we share students, I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to compete with that, <laughs> which is a great compliment because I could never. But, you know. I'm always like, can you just not be so good? Because some of us are just really out here doing our best. <laughs> so anyways, last couple of things. Yeah. So benefits of this, there's unique and individualized opportunities. There, there are chances for students to show teachers who they are and their interests. I mean, there are just so many good things that can come of it. But also there are a lot of negatives. If students aren't invested, that's very hard to make up. They're, they have to have a buy-in. And if you can't create that, you're not going to get much out of it. The teacher work, like we talked about, super front-loaded. When my students start doing this kind of work, I'm like, it's like a hurry up and wait, you know? I I rush and rush and rush and I work super hard for leading up to it in those first few days and then they start doing it and then I just sit there and I'm like, does anybody want to talk to me? Is, like, is anything happening? Is, what are you guys doing What's out there? Like, hey. Hello? Yeah, I'm like the awkward, like, you know, I'm just like You're over like, their shoulders. Like, like get in the lunchroom trying to find a table to sit Yeah, I really like, am, but it's my own classroom. I'm yeah. like, does anyone, like, need me? No? Okay. Okay. Which is great, but my then I'm like... job is done, I guess. But then, like, and I, I talk about this with a bunch of my friends who work with me, but when you do this kind of work, and then you get to the point where they're working, and you're just sitting there, you're like, oh, God, what have I done? They won't ask me questions. They must be doing nothing. You know, because so much of teaching is this idea that like the sage on the sage or whatever, where like you're always right there and available and all of these things. But in reality, there's so many other parts of it. So when you do sit down and you like do something else, you're like, oh gosh, I'm not paying attention to them. Are they okay? Mm -hmm. You know, the last thing, this kind of work takes so much more work out of a teacher. But the other thing that we talked about earlier is that you really have to establish a classroom dynamic. You have to have a student buy-in. You have to have their respect. You have to have their willingness. That is the hardest part for sure because it is not easy to establish yourself in a classroom, especially if you are a young teacher who is working it out still. You know, I'm in year 10. It's very easy for me to be who I am in my classroom because I've been doing it a long time. But that's also what gives me the freedom and flexibility to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think it's something that it takes a lot of time. And like I said, there yeah, are... It's a craft you have to hone, just like any professional yeah. field. This is an expertise that is not easily acquired no. to be able to do this. It's just so much work. I yeah. mean, and you really have to, you have You've to be firm. you long have days, to be, too. I've been, yeah, I really have been. But I'm about to maybe reap the benefits of these essays. Good. Get better. <laughs> As I melt. No, I just, that's the downside, you uh-huh. know? The downside is the work. And the downside is being sure that you as a facilitator can handle it. Because I have been a bad facilitator and I've never gotten control again. And it's, it's, a, very, it's a very tight line to walk. Cool. Well, I appreciate your reflections. I know that this is not, yeah, it's just not an easy thing to ask people to do because it's sort of a nebulous 
it's good when students ask their own questions. Yeah. Like, okay, how do you, oh, yeah. like, how, do, but... <laughs> Isn't it always? <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, though, is, like, it can be very difficult, I think, for people to turn those kinds of thoughts into practice. Yeah. And the praxis of education is is what is difficult and, and, and inaccessible to the people theorizing on this stuff. So, anyway, mm-hmm. it, there's some back and forth that needs to be had, but, but I do... Uh, I definitely represent a lot of this kind of approach to education in your in your work, and so you must be doing something right because yeah. you're you're tackling an awful lot of both project and inquiry based learning. I try, yeah, it's rewarding, and you also connect with students. Like that's the thing that I've noticed about you that that your connection to students is a very important part of your yeah your professional approach. Well, I mean, that's why I'm there. You know, like I mean, most days, geez, I don't know, maybe not today. <laughs> no, I think you're Everybody right. Everybody has off days. Having connections and um, them knowing exactly where you are, you know, it just it has to be very clear. Mm-hmm. All of the expectations have to be out there before you can let go for a second. So yeah, it um, takes a lot of work. But I think you and I could both say that we were definitely made better learners in these kinds of opportunities. And I think that's important. You know, I think a lot of times that when I reflect on a lesson, I'm like, well, I didn't really get out of it what I hope to, but I might not have seen it. What does mm-hmm. it mean they didn't? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you kind of have to hope that it'll, it'll come back someday. It's like a boomerang. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I threw it the wrong way, wrong way or something, but you know what I mean? Like there I are like definitely that. times that I've been, that I was taught, right. Something. And I, and I didn't ever get it until, I mean, you have like one of the best examples. You talked about learning conic sections. I've never forgotten this. <laughs> you talked about your misunderstanding of conic sections yeah. in high school. Uh-huh. And I didn't take this course at all, but ever, obviously. But then you talked about understanding it so clearly in college because you were given the, con- you were given, <gasps> you were given the context to understand what you were actually determining. And I just think that sometimes that's exactly where teachers fall short, you know, because in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a conic section. I would never say that. My friends are dying laughing at me right now. But I don't always think big picture. Mm -hmm. And for you, you were like, oh, my gosh, you know, and I'm telling your story now. I never encountered the word conic. Yeah. No, I just like conic as an adjective did not correspond to cone noun in my head like i don't know why like my head listen when you're in some like when you're when you're you're just sitting there in some class that is very scary and the teacher's scary and everybody's scared because the grade's really important and you're a little brown noser and all you care about is getting a's when that's the context in which you're existing you don't always ask the, the dumb questions or what yeah. seemed like the dumb questions at the time and the dumb question for me was what what's a conic what's conic mean and it means of or pertaining to cones and then you found out yeah but and then it was so helpful but the, but the okay but the relationship between the 3d geometrical object the cone and a parabola which is a 2d representation of a slice of a cone mm-hmm. that you can put in terms of an equation the fact that that's what we were just doing the whole time was never explained. We yep. just got sets of parabolas mm-hmm. and we're like, do this. Mm-hmm. Memorize these equations. Mm-hmm. And it's not that my teacher wasn't good because I did learn how to do calculus pretty decently in, yeah. in high school. But it's just like that very basic thing of like, this yeah. is a word that's a little mm-hmm. unfamiliar. Yep. And nobody in your classroom would have had any occasion to encounter it before yeah. now. Perhaps you should just pause. And maybe I'm just well, exceedingly dumb. No, 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 no. Because can I give you one more example? Yeah. So my my seniors, I teach a composition course through a local university, and they are we're starting our second essay, which is which is going to be research based, and so it's a classification essay. So tearing apart the parts of a whole. So I have. My students complete an annotated bibliography for all of our research-based essays, right? So this whole time, in my head, I was like, gosh, isn't this great to do an annotated bib because they're just doing the research and preparing for the writing? And then as they started asking me questions, I was like, this annotated bibliography should be helpful to you. Your summary and your assessment of a source is what you should go back and look at when you start writing. They're like, oh, it's not for you. And I was like, I don't care. Yeah, but that's that's but that's what every okay, that's the problem. It's not for you. That's what students get used to. That's what they expect. Right. That they're doing the but, work for the teacher. Right, right, right. And and to an extent they are, right? Because I yeah, require sure. it and whatever. But it 
when somebody said that, I was like, wait, everybody don't do anything else ever again. Just listen. I literally had to like stop the class because like I felt like my brain shifted. There were a few moments where I'm like, oh, we are nowhere near each other. That was one of those moments Mm -hmm. because I was like, these sweet angels think that I care. I do so much as I grade them, but, but it's supposed to help them. It's supposed to be the the sources that they go back to to say, oh, that thing sucked. I'm not going to use that. And oh, that's where that data was. In my head, it was so clear the purpose. But when they've done them before, it was just as simple as ever saying, you know, and it, and it wasn't a failure of anybody else because it was exactly what your calculus teacher did, right? It was exactly the thought that like it will make itself known because it's part of the process. But sometimes you just literally have to say, Hey, everyone, when you start writing, bring this up and look at it. You have to make the simple connections more (laughs) than you would think. But for me, I was like, oh. I should have just gone and looked up the word, but (laughs) but I just assumed it was a word that meant this class of equations that we were solving. And I didn't think it meant anything more than that. So I was just like, okay, conic sections. This is just like, I'm working on a bunch of parabola equations. That's what this means. And nobody ever was like, well, if I just love that story so much a because it's so cone, clear. I know. I just love it. But it, that was I'm my like so it's still frustrated. That about was it. my kids with an annotated bibliography. Yeah. Because yeah. they were like, oh, it's for us. Well, I would totally change what I say. I'm like, yeah, yes. Yes. That's the point. Yes. I want you to get any use out of it because yes. I'm not writing your essay. <laughs> I know you think I am, but I am not. You so are I don't that. care. <laughs> so anyways okay well uh, <laughs> that was me being like yeah this isn't my grade not, <laughs> i already got that i'm not grade. the one taking the i'm course. good i'm teaching the course you're I'm taking done with the grades yeah. i just give them yeah well uh do you have you had a couple of resources in here for teachers who are looking to get into inquiry-based learning would you like to yes. just cover a couple of these i will include the link to the university of manchester I am going to include a link to a site called C3 Teachers. This website had unit plans, lesson plans, guides for students and for teachers. They also had PDFs available for teacher and student use and modules. So that seemed like a great support if you're kind of figuring out what this could look like. Yeah, where to get started. Um, there's a couple other articles also that we just kind of pulled some info from. I would just want to mention real quick about some of these resources. When you look at them, they're not going to seem earth shattering because they are like... They're not. They're not. Because 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 the actual work that is being asked of students, it's not earth shattering. Nothing about this is so difficult or earth shattering. It's just all of the structural work you have to do to establish boundaries, trust, and expectations ahead of time is not well represented by these documents that we're going to share, but they are like the distillation of them. So that's just something worth keeping in mind. Yeah. Okay, did you have anything else? Was that wrapping it up? There are a couple other articles uh-huh. in the show notes. So okay, I'm, just we, check the show notes. Our show notes always have a million things. So if you're ever really looking for, I guess, specific to the episode, start there. Or you can send us an email and ask us for more, and we would love to tell you. We would. That's We'd love to hear from you. Anything so, else from you? I think that about wraps it, except for the fact that I would say that inquiry has been a major major force in my own education going to college where I did we all of the classes took place in conversational style around a seminar table and everyone had you know was supposed to have read before class and then we would work through things together in class and basically the entire point of the education was to work on coming to your own important questions yeah and so obviously that's what I mean when I say that this sounds like it just sounds like what te- good teaching should be, what, you know, yeah. what formal it is. schooling should look like. But it can it can be very hard to take this to, to some of the extremes that I think it probably deserves. It can be very hard to, I mean, you might hear like a flipped classroom or something similar to this too. Uh, the idea that students be allowed and to follow their own interests and be trusted with the pursuit of them. That, that can be a really difficult thing and it can be really challenging depending on the group of students you have. So it's just something to keep in mind uh, as you approach this, but it can be extraordinarily powerful learning and it's some of the learning for which I'm most grateful in my mm-hmm. life. So for sure. Yeah. 
All right. Well, do you want to move on mm-hmm. to fill in the blank? Yep. Our little trivia so, section. So last episode, this was the question. Yes. It was really easy. What was the original acronym used for STEM? Yes. SMET. S-M-E-T. SMET. SMET. I'm really glad they worked that out. Because SMET sounds like I already have a sinus infection. STEM is really not all of that great of an acronym. It's much better than SMET. It's much, much improved over SMET. Yeah. And it sounds a little too close to SMUT, too, which is the other thing about it that's not great. But yes, SMET. Much less appealing. M-E-T. That was the original uh, the original acronym. Yeah. Teachers do love acronyms. Okay. So. You have one for this episode? I do. Okay. This episode's question, what mathematical theorem does Socrates ask the slave boy to perform in the platonic dialogue, Mino? You didn't put the answer. I don't know. I didn't. Oh, okay. Because I, it's in my head. Because you, you will ruin it and read it aloud. If I put it on the as notes. As you have been wont to do. I I did that one time, and it's been like solidified in podcast history. <laughs> I read the show notes and didn't realize the answer was in there and I said it like, Hello? in the recording. But I was also like, well, you know, it's fine. We can cut it out. But ever since then, <laughs> I make it like a different font. It's highlighted. It's larger. It's Kate goes to great lengths <laughs> to make sure I will never do again the thing I did only one time. Okay. Well, anyways. All right. For the record. What we learned. Yeah. Oh, hey, by the way, I did. I do just want to say, oh. if you have the answer to the question, write in hello at 16to1.com. All spelled out. We would love to hear from you. If you answer correctly, we will send you a sticker from the show. We can get your address from you. If you write us in, uh, we'll email you back. I want to buy new stickers. Oh, you want to order some new I stickers? Want, I want something else. Yeah. So make me get rid of these because I, I can't reasonably buy more while we have so many. Yeah. We we need to we need to get rid of some stickers. So if you've got the the uh, answer to the question, write in. Even if you don't have the answer to the question, write in. We would love to hear from you. We got to we gotta get back in touch with our listeners who wrote in and send them stickers this week. We got to figure okay. out how to do that. Do I've it. never tried to send anything to Western Australia. I was just going to say, can I get it there? I don't know. We're going to try. Pestily. I'm going to our favorite, one of our favorite streamers from Australia, Lindsay. Also, we can send her some. Yeah, the other uh, person who wrote in. Yeah, if either of you listen, can you send us more info in a not creepy way so that we can send you stickers? I would love to. We'll we'll email you at the emails you oh. provided. Okay, your fine. addresses so that you don't have to be Never creepy mind. in any way. I wanted it to be creepy, but I accept. Thank but you. anyway, we've got stickers, and they're they're cute. We want to get rid of them so we can make different stickers. Honestly, if you send us your address, I'll probably get them to you because yeah. I want to be rid of these. Yeah. So anyway, write in, say hello. We'd love to hear from you. Now we're going to talk about what we learned. We always do this on the pod. We end with what we learned. So what okay. did you learn in the last couple of weeks? I'm just kind of doing a recap again. Okay. I hope that's okay. We learned a lot of things we didn't want to know. Did we? We watched the Dahmer special oh, on Netflix. God. Yeah, we did. It is rough. It is very rough. If I could give every trigger warning, content warning, I would. Yeah, I had a real hard time watching it. It is one. not for the faint of heart. I don't I didn't watch some of it because I it's disappointing. It's a failure. It's a story of failures, multiple failures. And that's yeah. frustrating to me. Well, that was the part that was interesting to me. So I couldn't watch a lot of the the killing murdery was just a little too yeah, much for me. And I'm just like, I'm not really sure why I'm watching this sometimes. So there's a lot of gross stuff in it, but there's also a lot of pretty interesting running commentary on the like police policing backdrop report, and yeah. just sort of the conditions that led to the scenario in which you could kill so many people. So yeah. there are some systemic forces at play there that the show did a good light of shedding light yeah. on. So did a good job of shedding light. So on. we learned a lot. We didn't want to know. We watched the new Hocus Pocus and we loved it. Yeah. Other things just really quickly. So I I recently read Emily Henry's book called The People We Met on Vacation, which is just a really fun, light book. Um, She's a good writer. I enjoyed her. I never read any of Emily Henry's stuff. And I started, most importantly, the book that I've been waiting on Libby for four months, literally months, Brene Brown's new book called Atlas of the Heart. There's something about listening to Brene Brown that, like, makes me a better person. Like, I feel better. I'm like... And, you know, like, I think she just, like, speaks to my soul, so. Well, good, I'm glad. I'm back on Brene Brown. And I just, my kids uh, think that they get to have a say in what we listen to in class when I play music, but they don't. So we've been listening to a ton of Camp and Brandy Carlisle, and Hoosier has a new album coming out, so. Mm. I'm just deep in my fall vibes. I'm just reading my books, listening to my music. 
We've been watching some good TV. You're expanding your mind. Oh, You're expanding your cultural. We saw the horizon. new Harry Styles movie. Oh, we did. Yeah. That was something to learn. We saw Don't Worry Darling. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah, we I thought it was it. interesting. If you like Black Mirror, you would like it. Yeah, it's like so. a psychological thriller kind of so thing. So I've been learning a lot of things I didn't want to know and some things I do want to know. <laughs> and that's the story of life. That, that is the story of life. I heard a quote today I wanted to read to you. Okay. Uh, if you know me and if you've listened at all, you know that I, I preach the gospel of Brene Brown. Uh-huh. She is... If someday I'm required to say the five most important things in my life or that I did for myself to help myself, she would be on that list. Her work, her podcast, her books, everything. So I started her newest book that I've been waiting for forever on Libby. It's called Atlas of the Heart. And I'm not very far into it, but one of her quotes was so great. And her quote was that I am a Mac, I am a map maker and a traveler. And she talks about how cartography and those skills are the most important things that humans have ever done. Like it's the most invaluable work we could ever create and that creating maps is the greatest accomplishment of ours. And it's because we have found a way in creating maps to show people what is most important and how to find it. And I was like in my car, just like, (gasps) you know, and so I like had a moment because I was like, we all are these things, you know, so that quote just really stuck out to me. And it's, it was really cool. And she talks about like the work of cartographers and, and how that throughout history has been some of the most valuable things that we have found about civilizations and cultures, right? Like their maps and what they valued. Because by finding a map of another culture, we learn immediately what do they care about and where is it. It's really interesting. Yeah, so it's cool. Huh. Well, that's neat. So what did you learn? What Did you find something as soul-searching and deep as uh, like being a cartographer oh, and a golly. map maker? Well, <laughs> no I'm pressure. Not sure, <laughs> not sure about that. That's a lot of pressure. That that one was pretty deep. Um, Although what I learned about was pretty deep, too. I, I actually just appeared as a guest on another podcast uh, this week for the Mycelium Network, which is this professional group that I ran across on Polywork, which is this uh-huh. new... <laughs> I keep talking about it with you because I find it really fascinating, but it's a it's a LinkedIn alternative kind of. Position for, in, like, technology or well, something? It's, uh, the idea is for it to be for anybody. Is the oh, kind of... Okay. It, but they're, they're like LinkedIn, but for people who don't just do one thing. <laughs> okay. They, so polywork be, meaning showing off all of the different ways in which you work. So it's a professional network oh. that is trying to get you to highlight the other things or all of all the many of your things. dabblings. Yes. So for people like me, <laughs> I've met some really cool people on on this network because it's all people like me who are like, yeah, I have a million projects to show off. Here yeah. are all my projects. And we all kind of gravitated to And everyone's like, look at my projects. Yeah. So anyway, this guy um, named Shalk reached out to me and wanted to do, uh, he, he put out a request for people to appear on this podcast. So I did this podcast this afternoon. It was just talking about, we were just talking about tech and different things, but his, uh, the Mycelium Network they're kind of on GitHub and in Discord, and it's a collection of mostly early career web and software developers, and then some mentors in the same space getting together to just talk and work together and work through professional problems and do it in a safe environment. So anyway, yeah, what I learned about was that was that his group and his network and his work, and it's kind of cool. I think I'm going to go... He also, the podcast that he runs, it sounds like he's got some interesting episodes um, awesome. on Celium Network podcast. So go check it out. Um, that's I'm what excited I to about. hear yours. Yeah, I'm excited to connect with some of the people in this in this group and get going with it because it looks like it's going to be a good uh, resource or it's going to be a good place for me to just connect with other people who can either help me or I could help them yeah. with their career development. So Can't looking lose. forward to it. Yeah. I think that about wraps it for the week. Any parting thoughts? No, just, you know, take care of yourselves. Yes, as always, do take care of yourself. Find a minute, treat yourself. Listen to Brene Brown, you know, if you really need a minute. But no, I'm just, I love fall. This is this is my time to shine. It is a, yeah. it is a very good time so. of year. I do love, I do love fall. Get out in the weather, enjoy yourself, uh, and we'll see you in two weeks. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Goodbye.
for supporting 16 to 1. We're trying to grow our audience, so please check us out at 16to1.com, all spelled out, and tell your friends about the show. On our website, you can find links to follow us on social media, an archive of all our old episodes, and a contact form where you can get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. Go put some chicken in your tum-tum. Yes.